Hello and welcome to The Pulse, where we're continuing our coverage of what is arguably Hong Kong's biggest protest movement since the 1960s. When totalitarian governments face unrest, they tend to claim that it does not stem from local dissatisfaction, but from foreign interference. Well, that claim has been made by some officials both in Hong Kong and in Beijing about the umbrella movement, although any actual evidence of this has yet to be provided. But it's not only local Hong Kong Chinese who have a stake and an interest in how democracy develops here. In part two, we'll be talking to overseas news media professionals who've been in town to report on the movement. But first, over the past month, we've been following international academics and students who were both observing and taking part in the events on the streets. The National People Congress announced the final uh, the proposal of how do we elect our own chief executive, our highest officials of Hong Kong. It is the most unfair package that we've ever received. I am somewhat known in Hong Kong because of my Chunking Mansions book, which has won some awards. So, you know, I guess I would count as their figure of a public intellectual in a sense. I want to explain my core values here. I think there is almost no chance that Hong Kong is going to have fully democratic elections. I think it's done. Beijing is not going to back down on this. What my worry is, is that after this, it's going to be Article 23 over again. And that's my biggest fear. I'm Hong Kong and I'm from Hong Kong. But then when this movement came around, I realized I don't actually know a lot about the movement. But today it really feels like a time for education, which is exactly what I wanted. It's uh, through the expression of music, through the expression of films, sitting down like I was with the professor, you know, it's very open and it's very much welcoming saying come learn about what politics is, what democracy is, what our opinions are and then you form your opinions based off of that. Living in Belgium we have seven governments and, uh, and I get to vote every once or two, two years uh, for, for city government, um, provincial government, national government, regional government and so in the end we just get a bit of tired of, of democracy and, and so coming here it's really interesting to see people actually f still fight for democracy somewhere. Well we both uh, studied Chinese and it was a competition in, uh, worldwide called Chinese Bridge and we both were, uh, I think we both were third in the competition so we were sent to China to, uh, to observe the rest of the competition, the national, international competition. Uh, so that's where we met in Changsha. The key moment 
for me and for a lot of people I've talked to, were those few moments when the police began shooting tear gas, when everybody was getting warned, get out, because the PLA may be coming and they may shoot people. I know a lot of Hong Kong University students and Chinese University students who fled at that time because they felt, hey, this is coming to an end. It didn't happen. a lot of their signs into all sorts of languages, um, Dutch, French, German, Turkish. I mean, there is, there is that intention to kind of grasp an international audience. So you definitely can see this become more international support, but you mustn't confuse support for action. First of all, I talked to, to Chen Kin Man, who is why I'm here, and uh, he said that the civil disobedience campaign is effectively off because they may not be arresting anybody. And then it seems a little silly for me to wait until 4 a.m. and ask a policeman, beg a policeman to arrest me. I mean, I'm not going to do that. Please arrest me. No, come on, it's time to go home. No, arrest me. I'm not going to do that. feeling that it's it's a very good awareness campaign and I mean the, the whole world knows what's going on right now so they can't do, do anything anymore behind closed doors any 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 discussions about democracy can't happen behind closed doors anymore because everybody knows what it is now that they need to talk with Beijing. They, I mean, America and, and, and the UK and Europe, however much they now support and, and like things on Facebook, attention shifts so fast. We've seen it with Gaza just a few months ago. The whole world is focused and, and is outraged, but then attention shifts. and then So they shouldn't put all their hopes into that attention because it's so volatile and they should like, really consider how they're going to take this on in the long term. resistance to police action, there is resistance to arrest, there is a very deliberate attempt to block streets, to build barricades and so on. And when you look at the kind of, for instance in Mong Kok a couple of weeks ago when I walked around the side in Mong Kok, you just, just looking at the barricades themselves, the way they were constructed, it certainly connotes something that I would say is more like a form of resistance than something that for which you would use the more bland term movement.
they'd have a, a rental system for the tents. So yeah, not even rent. You don't have to pay. It's just you. Yeah. You come here at eight thirty. You say you want the tent, and if there's still one free, then you uh, then they give you one. And um, and just the whole process of going through the night, like in the evening, you, you have all the students studying in the in the study area. And I was walking more towards the barricades, and suddenly I heard this whistling. And it's a sort of alarm system that they have as soon as they see police like, and they, they suspect something, they start whistling. And then everyone was running there uh, to be eyewitness to if everything was. So I, I think this, the struggle now is less on the streets, but more in, in like, it's all about propaganda now and all about con trying to convince the other one through, there's polls being done, there's this, all these debates with the politicians, with uh, in, the, in the newspapers. So it's more of a, it's more it's on a different level. It's not in the yeah. streets anymore. There's no more fighting, at least here, not I don't know in Mongkok. But um, so that's interesting. Like they've really dug themselves in, and they've made up made their points clear. And now it's about convincing the other one and like finding tactics on how to actually achieve their yeah. their uh, dreams. Welcome back. As mentioned in part one, international attention to phenomena like the Umbrella Movement can be a fickle thing. Over the past month, many international media organizations and figures, including world-renowned journalists, flew into Hong Kong. In more recent days, many have flown out again, even though some organizations have retained a presence here. Hong Kong and its protesters made international news headlines, even featuring on the cover of Time magazine. But not all the reporting displayed what might be described as familiarity with the situation here. Much of Hong Kong's news media has painted a less than positive picture of what has become known as the Umbrella Movement. Overseas news outlets, however, have been more impressed by the overall peacefulness, politeness and sense of civic-mindedness of the student protests, and they've taken a much more positive approach. And there has been no shortage of foreign media correspondents from all types of outlets flowing into Hong Kong. Indeed, the influx came to resemble the level of overseas media interest seen during the handover in 1997. The Pulse went to talk to some foreign reporters on the ground and noticed that the story they were looking for seemed to be a David and Goliath type of narrative. This is not really a story about how one city elects its mayor, it's a story about how a city in China um, is going to elect its uh, leadership. And clearly, um, you know, however much CY Lung would like to see this as a local issue and however much even Beijing would like to see this as a local issue, to some extent this is pitting um, the students and their supporters who are seeking a different kind of um, democracy as they see it, uh, a fuller sort of democracy, it pits them 
uh, against Beijing, which, and Beijing has made very clear where it sees the limits of democracy. And that is why I think it's an international story, because it's, it's seen as a challenge to the Communist Party of Beijing on what is, after all, Chinese territory. We also spoke to Peter Popham of The Independent earlier in the protests. He says that even in Britain, where Hong Kong had not been at the forefront of people's minds for a long time, things had changed. You've covered loads of uh, demonstrations and things in other parts of the world. I mean, how does this compare with that? I don't think anyone's got a clue how many people are here. The other thing, of course, which everyone has pointed out is how well-mannered it is. And, uh, um, I mean, not just tidy and peaceful, but also very friendly, um, with lots of sort of things like mobile democracy classrooms and um, provision of umbrellas free and water and very, uh, almost like a sort of demonstration of, of, of civilization to whoever might be wanting to put the thing down. I know that uh, this is the way newspapers and television stations work. They want a person to be the leader of the demonstration. They want a person on the yeah, other side. Um, in some ways, there is no such person. Do you think this is a problem? I mean, that's a problem for television and, as you say, for actually personalising the thing which we always want to do. I think that there is all of these revolutions that have a lot of connection to social networks have the same characteristics of being incredibly big, um, uh, incredibly well organised in a sort of micro way, but lacking in sort of macro uh, direction. Uh, it looks to me like as a working model of classical anarchism, but it's also got the the, the normal challenges of classical anarchism that nobody is actually pointing it in one direction or the other so you don't know what's going to happen after tomorrow for example. I know that uh, in Britain there's obviously a historical connection with Hong Kong. Do you, do you think that's still alive or is that historical connection too historical for people to be uh, make it of any interest to them? It's a hard thing to say. Uh, I mean, I've noticed that the coverage by the Australian papers was much better, much quicker, much fuller than our coverage. On the 8th of October, the Sydney Morning Herald brought another angle to this story with an article by John Gano revealing that Chief Executive Lan Chung-ying had received a payment of at least $50 million from Australian-based UGL as part of a consultation and non-competition agreement made at the time of the takeover of Lung's former company, DTZ. The agreement was signed before Mr Lung was installed as the Chief Executive, but the payments were made once he was in office. The burden of proof is squarely on the shoulder of CY Leung to explain uh, certain irregularities concerning the execution of the contract. For instance, did he or did he not provide consultancy service to UGL um, before the second uh, installment of the payments? Uh, if that happens after, if that happened after he had become uh, CE, it would certainly be a very serious problem. But there is more than the foreign media at work here. Rather than confronting the idea that the protests arise out of locals' dissatisfaction, the Beijing and Hong Kong governments have claimed that external forces are stirring up trouble. 
In a television interview that aired on Sunday, 19th October, Lan Chongying repeated the claim and said that he might disclose who the alleged forces were at a suitable time. He himself is breaking the rule. Uh, we know that Xi um, Wailong wrote a piece and sent it to New York Times. Uh, and getting the, 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 the U.S. Um, uh, news agency involved in, in, the, in the discussion um, about the movement in Hong Kong. He has already breached uh, what he doesn't want uh, uh, other people to do. His critics point out that the chief executive himself has hardly been unwilling to use overseas influences when it suits. But his engagement with overseas media ignited a new row. In a joint interview with the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times, Mr. Leung pointed out that a good democratic system for Hong Kong should not be based on simple numeric representation. If it were, people who earn less than $14,000 a month would represent the majority of voters and might force more populist policies on the government. The response to this declaration was rapid and devastating. Well, I wasn't there, I should say. He, I think he said there was a misunderstanding. Um, I mean, I think what he was asked was, do you think the nominating committee is, uh, is represent, broadly representative of the Hong Kong people? Um, I think what he said was quite revealing. And I've written in columns um, that the only people more scared of a kind of full democracy in Hong Kong than Beijing are the people who run Hong Kong. And I think that was quite... Re his remarks were quite revealing in that. I mean, clearly, Hong Kong is a very successful society in many ways. But clearly also there are huge social problems here, social problems that if this were a democracy um, might be addressed. They might be addressed in all sorts of very messy ways, um, all sorts of uh, um, ways that were far from uh, perfect, that may maybe change policy, that would not be so good for business, that maybe raise taxes, all sorts of things that perhaps uh, might interfere with the smooth running of this society. That's clearly what C.Y. Lung um, was talking about. One thing that local protesters and pro-democrats have learned is that the attention of the foreign press can be a double-edged sword. Local pro-Beijing and United Front figures leapt with joy following a BBC Newsnight story that turned out to be misleading, to say the least. The story, released on the 21st of October, was titled Oslo Freedom Forum Activists Gather to Share Secrets of Successful Protests. It seemed to back up Beijing's assertions of foreign influence, implying that organizers of Occupy Central went to Oslo for training and that protesting students are in daily communication with Yang Jianli, a Chinese academic who was one of the protesters in Tiananmen Square in 1989. The Occupy organizers pointed out inaccuracies in the report, reiterating that their organization had never been to Oslo and had never been in touch with Yang it asked the BBC to retract the story. The BBC did not, but made some clarifications, admitting that an earlier version may have given the impression that the Hong Kong pro-democracy protests were planned by foreign activists. You know, some people here think the way the foreign media reported these events was unfair in the sense that it was presented as two sides clashing, whereas the protesters, for example, argue they were just victims of, of an attack. I mean, how do you see that? I think very much being here for a few days, I've seen that there's a range of opinion, and we really tried to put that across on the BBC World Service. Um, we have protesters. 
that uh, have a divergent opinions among them about the tactics that should, they should, that should be used. We have Hong Kongers, some that perhaps support that ultimate goal but don't agree with the tactics used by the protesters. Then there are the others that don't want the protests at all and perhaps some others that are more pro-Beijing. So what we've tried to do over the past few days is really get people who represent those views and also speak to Beijing and get them speaking to one another to try and understand what might happen next or what might be possible. Inevitably, after more than a month with no major new confrontations, overseas media interest has died down. Now, though, the Hong Kong Federation of Students are hoping to secure greater overseas coverage as a student delegation plans to go to Beijing in the hope of talks with Chinese officials. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Don't forget that if you've missed part of the show, want to see more or even see it again, you can go to the RTHK website or chat to us on our Facebook page. We'll leave you with some images of the protest sites and see you at the same time next week.